0: This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red Podcast. I'm Matt Addison. Alongside me today are Paul Ghost and Sean Bradbury. No game for Liverpool this weekend, but we'll take a look back at the victory over Ajax and what that means, plus a couple of other bits too, including Jude Bellingham and how the Liverpool midfield area is shaping up. Let's go to Ajax first, though, Gorsdi. A late winner that Liverpool undoubtedly deserved on the night. And as much as the result was important, I think the uh, performance was important as well for Liverpool. And it was certainly a lot better than what it had been a week previously.
2: Yeah, I mean, Klopp called that Napoli game the worst of his seven years, didn't he? So that that's quite an indictment when you think of some of the beatings that Liverpool have had occasionally during his time at the club. Um, few and far between you'd have to say, but there are one or two, I am thinking of Tottenham. Uh, Man City beat them 5-0 at one point, didn't he? Um I remember a particularly poor night in Belgrade, was it, in the Champions League? But um, for Klopp to say that the Napoli one was, was the worst of the lot kind of shows you how how much he um, he thought needed to be worked on, really. Um, it sounded like it was quite a intense couple of days from Friday onwards in terms of the analysis meetings and Matter pinted as such and, and so the Klopp in his Monday press conference without ever kind of detailing exactly what was said in the meeting, but um so there should be to be honest. I mean, maybe it is time that a few kind of home truths were told and you know with Liverpool were a bit more forthright in the analysis because it just it hasn't been good enough across the entire season, has it? And it certainly reached the Nadir in, in Naples. It was a really disastrous night for Liverpool. I mean, you can lose. You know away at Napoli, Liverpool have done that before, but it was the man in which, in which they were beaten, they were absolutely battered. It could have been six, seven, or eight. Um, but there were some signs of improvements on Tuesday night. I thought it was a, a performance that kind of had glimpses of the old Liverpool. Um, they didn't really put the keeper under too much pressure, to be fair. They deserve to win. At a certain point, it looked like the only way they were going to get the win was through a set piece or a corner because they were just dominating Ajax every time with them and, and so it proved to be with, with Matthew getting the winner. So, yeah, a step in the right direction, but I think I wrote it in the match where it's probably unrealistic to expect Liverpool to go from <clears throat> that performance at Napoli last week and, and the general um, form of the season to just being back to the absolute best on Tuesday night. So it's uh, probably as they've done about as well as could be expected Uh, A good win, a a much improved performance and something that they can build on on the other side of the international break, which I think, I have to say, has come at a a perfect time for Liverpool, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it'll certainly allow them to get one or two players back from injury, which is always going to help and allow them a bit of time to to work on things as well. But I suppose the the question now, Sean, is, was this a turning point? Was it a one-off? Can Liverpool kick on? And I suppose it kind of feels in some ways like the season should start here, but I suppose it's a different question whether it does start here.
0: Yeah, I don't think I'd go quite fully and be able to say it was a turning point. They're certainly having a little look around the corner though, aren't they? I think, as Gorsley said, there was a lot of the elements that have made Liverpool tick when they've been at their best in recent seasons and certainly last season felt like they had begun to be slotted back into place. Particularly the front line were really good, not just in their pressing volume of pressing by Diaz, but just the, the, the coordination of it was really good. Obviously great to see them all link up for the goal in a, in a nice little one-two-three way with uh, Salah slotting that quite early on, but just, just lots of different elements. I mean, obviously we, we could talk about Thiago, we could do a whole podcast on him. I think he was quite transformative in, in terms of his influence on and off the ball. He, he was fantastic, but it, it goes beyond that for me as well. I think Simicash was really good possibly his best game in a creative sense that I can remember for Liverpool. Obviously getting his assist, but he was just very dangerous and accurate with his delivery all night. And I think Matip, just the way not only he defends and, and as Gorsley alluded to, the threat he carries from set pieces alongside with Van Dijk in, in an attacking sense, but that thing that we saw a hell of a lot last season where he'd step out effectively, you know, come out from the back in defence and change the picture a little bit and and create extra angles for attack was, was really good. But yeah, to be honest, that by about 85, I'd, I'd almost made peace in the ground with it with it being a draw. I'm thinking, well, you know what, Liverpool have deserved to win here, and there's not even many games this season where you can come out of it saying that. Obviously, Bournemouth was 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 a romp, and and then you know there have been other positive results, but it really did feel like Liverpool were in control of this one, and, and did limit Ajax to obviously the opportunity for the goal and, and the header that just whistled by. It. But other than that. As much as they were bold and, and quite adventurous, I didn't think they carried too much threat, and Liverpool kept them at arm's length. But but yeah, to get to get the winner and in, in the manner it was with that amazing let-off and after seeing diving into the cop was 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 the cherry on top, really. So yeah, I agree with Gorsley. It's it's not quite a turning point, but this is is truly something to build on. And and it's just great that ahead of the extended international break, obviously with with the postponements this weekend as well, there is a win for Liverpool to hang their hats on. And I just think you know the mood. In, in Kirby will be that little bit better when those honest conversations that Paul referenced are still going on, and you know, there's, there's a hell of a lot to work on in these coming weeks, but this hopefully could be a real platform, not just for the Champions League campaign, but for, for everything for the whole season.
1: Yeah, there's there's three players in there that, that Sean mentions. I think Matip is, is certainly one that made a huge difference. Diogo Jota at the opposite end of the pitch, another one, but let's have that Thiago conversation. Sean said there, Ghosty, that we could have an entire podcast just dedicated to him, and I think that's fair. You know, he, he's help Liverpool become more dominant and controlling in this game. But I think he made Fabinho look a lot better as well. I think the compactness of the midfield completely changed. He is just one of those players that does transform things for Liverpool. So he made such a, a huge difference on Tuesday.
2: Yeah, he's, he's an unbelievable footballer, isn't he? Um, but what what's kind of impressed me about him is we know how good he is on the ball and kind of dictating the tempo and picking the passes and keeping Liverpool ticking over. We've seen that when he was at Barcelona ten years ago, we've seen it at Bayern Munich, you know, a few few years ago. And what what kind of impressed me is the energy and, and um just willingness to get about the pitch and put a foot in really because that's something that Liverpool massively have lacked and have and missed. And we spoke, haven't we, a couple of times on the pod now about the role Harvey Elliott has in this midfield and for all the kind of ability he has in possession, he's not someone who's gonna go about snapping into tackles, you know, pressing midfielders into mistakes and you know, winning the ball back for, for Liverpool. So, Fabinho's been a little bit overworked at times this season, particularly in the in the Mirsad derby when he had Carvalho and Elliot Either side of him, a couple of teenagers who were kind of whose first thought is to get on the ball and and look to, to play play it about. Um, so, just to have Thiago back on the team from a from an in-possession stance is, is always going to be a massive benefit. But out of possession, I think he's been superb as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could talk about him all day, but you can also just say that, we know what he's going to bring. He's a world class midfielder and he has been for pretty much all of his career. So, um, yeah, it's always just a big caveat with him, isn't it? As long as he stays fit. There was one in the, the first half, wasn't it, when he um I think it was salary played it across through midfield and the Ajax were pressing him and he just ran onto it and stepped over it and there was massive gasps around Anfield as Costa Simakas got away down the left. Um just a super football to watch. Um, not in the Spain squad, which is no surprise, because I think the last Spain appearance was in the Euros, um, well over a year ago now. So that's uh, that would be a good point from Liverpool's perspective. Get a good solid week of training in him from you know the end of next week, and uh, hopefully we're ready to see him have a prolonged stint in the team. And, and as you say earlier on, Matt, just get one or two bodies back as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, he's just a, an unbelievable player, isn't he? And um, hopefully he stays fit and we can all watch him and bear about him and praise him all season.
1: Yeah, that's that's the thing, isn't it, Sean? You've got to keep him fit. And as Ghosty says, the international break break for him will sort of help in, in terms of that. But I suppose you, you don't want to be over-reliant on him in, in one sense, but at the same time, you don't want to take anything away from him because he's just ridiculously good.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, our spec is in the lower Kenny Dalglish as it is now now known. And it's just great. I mean, obviously, anyway, you sit at Anfield to watch this Liverpool team, you're you're in a privileged position, but we basically get a half where Tiago's in that little pocket on the left, right in front of you doing his thing. And then, you know, when things flip around, you've got Trent, you've got Salah, you've got Elliot, and they're all right in front of you. But I was just mesmerised by him on Tuesday, to be honest. And and I think Gorsley's put his finger on all all the facets of of what he brings and, and how it's almost you have to broaden out with, with every game that you do see him play, like how much he, he offers this Liverpool team. You know, obviously there's the football inside of it, and and I genuinely think this is a bit of a match out, but it was it, it, it not not in the sense of Stephen Gerard, because Stephen Gerrard could be the, the complete midfielder in, in a very different way to someone like Thiago. You know, he, he if, if you're looking at a, a complete midfield performance in the Gerard mold, he's he's at the heart of everything, isn't he? He's he's bristling with end product and just rhythm and, and energy, and, he, and he's a force of nature popping up all over the pitch. Obviously, you don't quite get that with Thiago, but I think I think that when he plays like that, it is it is quite a complete midfield performance. I can't see what more in a footballing sense you could you could ask from him. You know, he's a he's a master of a very specific craft that involves switching to play effortlessly. I think he, he pinged pretty much every single long pass he attempted the other night came off. You know, he can relieve pressure. He's an outball himself. Um, and, and just just the way, as the second half wore on, obviously I think there was there was a 10-15 minute period where Liverpool's heads dropped a little bit. It was like, uh, are, are we going to be able to grind out this win? But you just see, like you know, when Van Dijk or Matip bring it forward and give it give it to Thiago, he's got that almost like relentless patience where he just keeps doing his thing, and, and it really does help like de-energize and grind down the opposition. But then, like Gosty was saying, it, it, his wider kind of like leadership and, and energizing. I thought that was really really kind of marked the other night because there was there was a point right in front of us where one Ajax player in a kind of overzealous moment bundled Simicash right into the advertising boardings and like Tiago almost like he almost like pressed Simakas he like ran towards him eyes popping out on his, his hands and um, like thrust in front of him to calm him down just to make sure he didn't react and you know that that's real leadership and later on as the game was like reaching its final stages there was a bit where he was obviously trying to G Diaz up a little bit because Diaz had put such a shift in. He was like, I think Diaz like, you know, want to tackle or want to throw in or something. And he was like chest bumping with him. And obviously he, he's got that thing of knowing knowing what the button is to press for each different player to get that extra five or 10% out of them, which is real leadership. And, you know, there's already a lot of players in the Liverpool leadership group. There's There's captains all over the pitch really, isn't it? Or... Well, a few of them currently on the treatment table. But, you know, you know the point I'm trying to make. But, but here's a guy who, who just uses all his experience, you know, in his head as well as his feet. And, yeah, just, just really can't praise him enough. He was excellent the other night and hopefully in the weeks and months to come this season. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Before we uh, we move on from the midfield, we might as well have that chat around the, the kind of balance and, and that kind of thing. I know there's been a little bit of talk around Harvey Elliott and, and that kind of thing. You referenced it a little bit earlier on, Gorsley, but I just think Tiago will make a, a huge difference in that. I think we saw the midfield balance look a lot better and it, it wasn't because Harvey Elliott wasn't there. He obviously was still there and, and got into those good pockets of space, but Tiago makes a, a huge difference in that sense as well.
2: Yeah, it just makes a a massive difference in every sense, doesn't he? Um, I mean, he's he's approaching his his two-year anniversary now, isn't he, Thiago? I think it's on Sunday since he signed for Bayern Munich. It's just a shame that Liverpool couldn't have got him, you know, maybe three years younger than he is because um, he's just an incredible talent, isn't he? I think there's an argument to be made for him being the most high-profile signing that Liverpool have have likely ever made um, because... it's tend, tended to be the, the players who become superstars at Liverpool have kind of made the name at Liverpool. Um, he came having only ever played for Barcelona and Bayern Munich, a two time Champions League winner who pretty much won, won the lot across his career. So when he signed two years ago, it was a massive, massive deal for Liverpool. And it hasn't quite gone according to plan as it first season. There was plenty of caveats for, for why that was. Last season was a bit more like it in terms of the season that Liverpool had and, and he was unbelievable from probably February onwards. Um, it's just always the, the issue, isn't it? You know, can he stay fit? Um, 50 minutes into the new season, he pulls up with a hamstring injury and then he's, he misses a month. But when he's when he's fit and he's, he's on this kind of form, you can see what all the fuss is about. So um, let's just hope there is now a, a real prolonged run of form and I'm sure Liverpool will improve immeasurably if, if he is in that midfield every week.
1: You mentioned before as well, Sean, in terms of the, the Elliot thing and the balance and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, what, what's your sort of take on, on that? Is is that the answer for, for Liverpool if if the midfield maybe doesn't quite look perfectly balanced with Elliot in there? Maybe, maybe is Thiago the balancer the, the one that kind of sorts that out, do you think?
0: Quite possibly. I think this now, this situation over the next few weeks in terms of what to do with Elliot is one of the biggest Stick or twist decisions Klopp's had for a while, really, because obviously, you know, they trust this player. He, he's a he's a supremely talented youngster. and um, This is a plan that's been coming for a while, hasn't it? This whole kind of purposeful lopsidedness, if you like, in terms of pushing the, the right side of, of the three midfielders a bit further forward, doing different things with Trent, popping Salah out wide, and I think lots of elements of it are working quite well. You know, they are a, a dangerous attacking trio and probably been a little bit unlucky not to have seen a little bit more... End product from that in terms of you know the positions they've been getting in the shots they've been getting away this season, but obviously on on the on the flip side of it, it has left Liverpool a bit exposed and open to transitions and and you know effective counter attacking down that channel. And and we've seen a lot of that, haven't we? You know, think back to like uh, the goal Palace scored. Obviously, the goal came the other night. Napoli. you You can point to a lot of games where that's been the problem area. But I do agree with what you're saying, Matt. I think, like, you know, Ian Doyle wrote a piece of a day and was just wondering, you know, what, what is the next thing you do with Harvey Elliott and the, you know, the, posed a few different options and solutions and as we've said already, there's a few weeks now to really go and work on things but I do wonder if the answer is as simple as keep playing him as long as it's alongside Fabinho and Thiago because I do think that's that's really the, the ideal conditions, isn't it, to come in and, and learn that role and, and really get to grips with it and you know, Liverpool aren't really a team who can afford to have a player who's 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 learning on the job. Certainly not a midfield where, as we've always said, there is so much onus on all those players to almost deliver 110, 120% of, of what any other midfielder would have to do if they were playing in a four or playing for a team with, with less intensity and focus on pressing. But yeah, I I do think the other night though, as well, there was a little bit more measured. Of a measured approach in terms of what Elliot was doing. I mean, he was he was doing a hell of a lot of running. I don't think any player covered more distance than him in the in the first half. But I got the impression, and, and I might be wrong. I'd like to you know see a bit more analysis on this in a, in a deeper sense. But I don't think he was quite committing to all-out attack and advanced positions as much as he had been in in some recent games. It felt like you know the perhaps the reinvention that Klopp's talked about and the decisions that need to be made about midfield structure and almost perhaps been factored into that a little bit and you know there were were a few times when Liverpool were resetting from you know when Ajax got the ball or or the the keeper had it where it really did look like it was it was you know quite a clear and distinct 4-3-3 and Elliot was perhaps on a leash a little bit and you know doing a little bit more of what you'd have expected Jordan Henderson to be doing you know at, at, at his pomp in that role. Um, and I, I think personally, that's the key. That's what I'd like to see a little bit more of it. a slight compromise in how much you're committing Elliot to go forward. But I would like to see them persist with him in that position, alongside Fabinho and Thiago. I'd say right now, as it stands, that's you know it, it, first choice from first choice midfield three is is a bit of a vague concept in Liverpool, isn't it? Given how much they'll have to rotate and how many midfielders there are. But you know, if everyone's ready for the next home game. That's what I'd like to see. You know, I I think Elliot can play through this, and has shown enough so far this season. With more encouraging glimpses the other night, that 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 should be the the kind of short term plan, because because clearly it is the long term plan, isn't it? Like that's what Liverpool have been working towards for, you know, at, at least the season now, and and they would be further down this road were it not for the unfortunate injury he had. Um, so yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how that unfolds.
1: Yeah, I think that the sort of Henderson comparison is is a really good one, actually. I think it kind of helped probably helped Trent in terms of, of the positioning of, of where he needed to be. It probably helped Mohamed Salah as well, because he didn't have him in that same sort of area of, of sort of being in the same spaces and, and that kind of thing. It, it seemed to to work quite nicely. And I suppose that kind of ties in as well with Diogo Jota, Gorsdi through the middle. I think almost as much as, as Thiago really, I think he made a, a huge difference for Liverpool in terms of, of how that looked. We know all of the good things that he can do, but he kind of linked everything together. He was pressing, he created the first goal. It was... Just a reminder, really, I think, after a little bit of time where he hasn't scored a goal, but you know, has, has maybe not looked quite so good. Possibly this was a reminder to a few people of just what Diogo Jota can bring to the table.
2: Yeah, I think Klopp kinda of went back to basics with it, didn't he? Um matter back in, uh, the centre of defence, Thiago in midfield, and then and then Jota up front. And the thing with Jota is um it was his first start since the Wolves game in, in May. and um, obviously he had that hamstring injury in July and in, in pre-season in Thailand so he hasn't played a whole lot Um but one thing you know he's going to get for him, from him rather when you know he might not necessarily be at 100% you know he's going to roll up his sleeves and work and have a bit of a go get stuck in and just, just really take the fight to whoever he's playing against him. and that's what he did Um obviously he got his assist didn't he with the first goal you know laid in Salah and, and I just thought he, he was just a constant thorn in I side all night and okay it'll take some time before he's back at the level he was at throughout most of the last season when he scored 21, I think, um, in all competitions. But while you're waiting to, to kind of play yourself back to that level and, and get yourself fit again, he was great in, in terms of just really putting in a shift, which is at a time when, when you're struggling, the confidence isn't too high, and you've got one or two injuries, and the season quite hasn't gone how, you, how it was meant to go. You need someone like that, and, and you need those types of performances. So... Uh, I was um, making the point for for Darwin Nunes. I just think perhaps he needs a little bit of a run of games just to finally get his feet under the table and really show what he can do. But um, Klopp obviously thought wiser of it and put in Jota. And it's ultimately, it was the right decision, wasn't it? But um, I just think while Jota and the team are waiting to kind of get back to those levels that we know that they can reach, um, he's always going to be someone who's, who's going to put a proper shift in. And, um, you know, you, you can't really have a goal run for that because, um you know, he, he works so hard.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? You mentioned the the, the Darwin Nunez thing there. I think a lot of people probably would have, have gone for him over Jota in that one. But I suppose it's a, a reminder in a sense as well, Sean, of sort of the, the job that Diogo Jota's had to do. He's had to break into that Liverpool front three for the first time. He managed to do that. But now there's Luis Diaz there, there's... Uh, obviously, Nunez has come in. There's there's a new challenge for him to come in again, but it seems like he's he's going to thrive on that. And as he said, he just worked so hard. If nothing else, we know all the other bits that he's got, but that was certainly something that we haven't necessarily seen from anyone in that number nine position so far this season.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I think it was. Um, I was looking at the numbers on this after the game, and I think there was something like one hundred and sixty. Pressures, pressing actions from Liverpool throughout the game, which was like one of the highest totals this season, and vast majority of them were were in the final third and in attacking areas, and and you know I think a lot of it stems from everything we talked about earlier on, which was all the elements that came came together again in terms of players returning that made this more of a trademark Liverpool performance. You know, Mata played this part, Thiago played this part in being able to squeeze further up the pitch, and you know that helped Jota in the forward line, but that was the most coherent and cohesive pressing performance from, from the front three. I think we've seen this season, you know, no doubt. And Jota played a big part in it. So did Salah. I thought he was excellent as well. Tracking back, you know, very markedly on a couple of occasions it was that one where he, he he came pretty much the whole length of the pitch to get back into the penalty area and help snuff out a dangerous break. But, you know, Diaz as well, I think he he led the way. There was We had a piece from Andrew Beasley uh, over the last couple of days. And I think Diaz pressed 33 times <laughs> and loads of them on their keeper and obviously all popping in from that left-hand side and he was absolutely relentless and I think when you when you put Jota in the mix I think like it, it was just you know it, it really does bring a, a different angle to Liverpool's attack and he's such a clever player as well isn't he you know he, he so often makes the right decision on the ball and the fact that he can pop both ways and you know is it's really good with, with both feet um, yeah, I think you're right. Not that he's necessarily been like a forgotten man or a forgotten option, but you know the debate so far has centered around, well, is it going to be Firmino? Is it going to be Nunes? And obviously that's because partly Jot has been returning from injury. But I think Klopp will be hard pressed to change that front three certainly over the next couple of games. I mean o- October is 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 crazy, isn't it? I think there's nine games, isn't there? It's 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 like one of the Decembers we've seen in recent months where the games just keep on coming. So. In a way, I think rotation will will answer our questions here. You know, Nunes will have to play, Firmino will have to play, but right now, I think I think Jota has to keep his place.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see a bit of Nunez and, and Jota on the pitch at the same time as well. I think we've only seen that in Napoli so far, haven't we? So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens there as well. But just before we finish, we'll move on to a, a couple of other bits uh, around the, the midfield. I know there was some stories in, in Brazil, ghosty around our tour and possibly Liverpool making an, an early decision on him. But I think it's it's safe to say that's probably not the case. I mean, there's going to be, you know, a few opportunities, I would imagine, for him over the next few weeks. But Again, similar to, to Darwin Nunez, anyone who's making a verdict on someone at this point in the season, going far, far too early.
2: Yeah, I couldn't believe that when I read it yesterday. Um, this idea that Liverpool have, have given up hope two weeks in, just a little over two weeks in since Arta signed. Um, even for, you know, a, a sport and a media that makes snap judgments probably far too quickly, I thought that was particularly extreme. Um speaking to, to someone about it today and basically the, the, the message is that um it's complete nonsense. Um in all honesty, you know they they're gonna use the international break to get to give him a proper um proper go, get get him in the gym, get him in you know, individually tailored training programs and, and with the team as well but when they return. Um so it's you know as you were, no real shock. He hasn't played now, we played the come-on against Napoli athlete, didn't he, for 15, 20 minutes or whatever it was. But other than that, I think his most recent appearance was May. Um, didn't really have a pre-season to speak of. So, Liverpool looked at it, that he, he's come in kind of behind schedule. And, and it's basically up to them to get him up and running and up to speed as quickly as possible. And, of course, there are kind of debates to be had about that and about the decision to, to do that in terms of, the club's strategy and transfer policy, but for the player himself, there's not too much he can do in terms of if, if he's behind schedule and you know what what can he do other than showing up to training, putting in a shift, and showing Klopp that he um, he's no busted flush. He's only 26, so he's, it's not like Liverpool have signed someone who's, who's in his mid 30s and uh, is on his way to the Natchez yard So uh, hopefully um, he can just have a really good couple of weeks in training, and on the other side of that, when Liverpool are playing. What is it, one every three days, he will get an opportunity here and there and we can finally see what what he's all about and, and why um, he's been courted by the likes of Barcelona and Juventus earlier in, in his career. But certainly, you know, two weeks into his, his Liverpool tenure, um, there are no, no judgments being made about him just yet.
1: Yeah, I think the, the next two weeks could be important for, for him as much as anybody else. Really, it'd be interesting to see how much of him we do see in the, the next month. The other sort of midfieldy type thing I wanted to, to touch on, Sean, was Drew Bellingham. Obviously, I'm sure a lot of, of Liverpool fans would have been tuning in as he played and scored, actually, against Manchester City earlier in the week. I know Josh Williams wrote a, a piece for us on liverpool.com around the kind of performance that he put in there. And it was it was almost like a, a Genie Wijnaldum-type thing of working really hard, winning the ball back and, and all the rest of it. I thought that was was an interesting thing. And as I say, I'm sure a lot of Liverpool fans would have tuned in just to, to have a little look at what he did against City.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've already seen bits and pieces of him this season, but from reading about him and looking at the numbers and watching highlights of games, no doubt that he's been Dortmund's outstanding performer so far this term. And I think every time I see him, he seems to pop up in a different position and, and not just like you know through the game but like where he starts it might be on the left or the right of a midfield free it might be as part of a double pivot if Dortmund are going four two three one. you know that versatility I think is something that clearly it appeals to what appeal to Klopp and decision makers at Anfield and clearly will be catching the eye of, of every top club across Europe but yeah I was quite struck by what Guardiola was saying after the game because you know, I'm sure City would be another club would be having a little look at him. But he said something like, you know, he was he was following De Bruyne and Gund- Gund- Gundogan around in pockets and and winning the jewels and nicking the balls off them and then quickly getting forward and getting into the type of positions he was into to score the goal. So, you know, he, he's he's a he's a very well balanced player and he can play across the midfield. And I think that that just absolutely screams Liverpool, doesn't it? And not just screams suitability for Liverpool, but but screams what Liverpool need, you know, could have done with this summer, but will certainly need next summer. Um, and and the thing that strikes me about him that I suppose is kind of developing all the time is is his physicality and, and his robustness. Like, he's six foot one, which I didn't realise. So he's not that far off Fabinho in terms of height. And, you know, I think in the Premier League, at least in, in Liverpool's midfield, if you're part of a three, that that would really come in handy. You know, that kind of extra element of, of competitiveness and yeah you know he's, he's 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 just ready I think he's ready for the next level he's, he's already playing at pretty much the highest level you can play at and last season I think he played more minutes in the Bundesliga than, than any other player for Dortmund so you know although he's a teenager he's, he's one with vast experience you know not no kind of like direct comparison being made but you know where he's to come to Liverpool or or any team next season it's he'd be coming in at a level above where the likes of, you know, Elliot and Carvalho are right now, aren't they? That's just just the fact. But I suppose that the worry with him is that as his profile continues to rise and he's got lots, or he will have lots of opportunities this season to, to impress, won't he, in multiple competitions and, of course, in the World Cup, I just think all eyes will be on him, won't they? And various European journalists on Sky and elsewhere have been speaking about him over the last few days since that outstanding performance against City and... They've all mentioned Liverpool, to be fair, which is exciting and encouraging, but they've all mentioned City, United, Chelsea, Madrid, and, you know, all these teams who may well be in the conversation for him next year, so my guess would be, you know, well, Liverpool are at the top table, aren't they, so there's no reason why they shouldn't be pushing for a signing like him, and clearly he would fill a significant squad gap that will be more pronounced next season, you know, when perhaps a couple more midfielders will have left, but I think we're, if he's to come to Liverpool, he will have to want to come to Liverpool almost above all those other teams, you know, because the last thing Liverpool want and the last thing they can get afford to get involved in really would be any kind of bidding war with those other European giants. So, you know, I think if Bellingham's got his heart set on Liverpool, I'd, I'd like to think that could be a transfer that, that, you know, has some semblance of reality, but long way to go and a, and, a, and a huge season in the offering for him to to try and decide where he does end up.
1: Yeah, certainly a few more performances like that. and I'm sure the, the queue of, of suitors, Gorsty, would continue to, to increase. But I suppose the, the key point, really, as Sean says, is if Liverpool are interested, there's no reason not to pick Liverpool. They are at that level now where it, it would be a realistic conversation to be having.
2: Yeah, I mean, in terms of, of wages, you'd argue that Liverpool probably can't offer quite well Manchester City are able to, but you know, if, if it's if it's just down to like a kind of sporting um, proposal, if you like, Liverpool have got a, as good a chances as, as any of, of Landon bellingham You know, if if, if they they are to be in the mix in what just a little under a year's time, say next summer, probably probably early spring, you'd imagine the kind of overtures are, are starting to be made, aren't they? So um, you'd imagine they, they will be up a chair for those discussions and then it's just about whether they can convince the player to come and um, obviously he'll be able to have his pick if, if Dortmund are com- committed to, to selling him. but I mean at Liverpool he's, he'll be playing every week won't he pretty much Um he could be playing every week for the best part of 10 years to be fair so yeah I mean um, he will he will have plenty of options I'm sure but there's no reason to think why Liverpool um aren't able to to land them um just because of of everything that's gone on the last few years and and the kind of standing of where they are now in world football as sean says so um yeah it's um certainly one to keep an eye on maybe um in the new year when attention starts to turn towards the january window and then beyond um but for now he's obviously a dortmund player and is playing very well for them
1: Absolutely. Certainly one to watch out for over the next few months. But I think that'll do us for today's podcast. No game, of course, over the weekend. Plenty of content, though, in the usual places for you to have a look at during the next couple of days. The Blood Red podcast, of course, will be back on Monday. But for now, that's all we've got time for. Goodbye for now.
0: You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.